if there's one thing that Jets fans are certainly familiar with, it is a 96-hour darkness retreat. What's up, Jets fans? Welcome to another episode of Jet Nation Live. We are your hosts, Dylan Terriman and Glenn Naughton. As you can see, Glenn Naughton's internet has been sort of uh, on the fritz at work right now. He's calling in. We're trying to get the audio to come through as best as possible, but his video just wasn't working out with the Wi-Fi situation there at work. But we applaud him for taking his break at work to come on and talk the um, the, the uh, oh, oh, almost uh, the awaiting misery of this quarterback position surrounding this team. I feel like you look on Twitter, it's just negative everywhere. We're going to miss out on X, Y, and Z quarterbacks. And I'm trying not to put my my belief that way, but every day passes and there's not a situation or solution to this problem. So Glenn Naughton, uh, how we doing? Uh, I know you, you're saying that the audio is terrible on your end. So let's, let's see if we can get through this. Can you hear me? Uh, I'm getting enough of you to, 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 to make out what you're saying. Um, just a weird situation. We've, you know, we've done shows before with me in this location and it's always been fine. Uh, for some reason tonight, not so good. So we'll do what we can. And if I got a bail, I got a bail. But, uh, you know, we'll try to cover some topics. Yeah, if, if Glenn all of a sudden just drops out, we uh, we understand what's going on there. So I'll power through if that is the case. But we'll try to keep it as best as possible. There's not too many talking points, but mainly just Senior Bowl recap. We do want to update everybody about the quarterback situation that I just alluded to at the top. And the most pressing or the most recent thing coming up tonight at 9 p.m. on NFL Network is the NFL Honors it could be a pretty historic day for the Jets, uh, both past and present. Uh, you have Sauce Gardner and Garrett Wilson, who are going to be finalists for Rookie of the Year, offensive and defensively, respectively. Um, that would be the third time ever in NFL history that it happened. So that would be a great feat for the Jets. And also the legends of the game, Darrell Revis and Joe Klecko are finalists to be inducted to the Hall of Fame. Obviously, they still have to get through tonight, the final hurdle. There are rumblings, rumors that Klecko has been confirmed. So if that is true, that's just amazing. Uh, Glenn, what are your thoughts first on Darrell and Klecko? And then we can touch on Sauce and Garrett. Well, you know, listen, um, Revis, we were lucky enough to see his entire career. And Joe Klecko, my earliest memories of him, to be honest, uh, I, I think by the time I started watching the Jets, I think he was in his first season with the Colts. So um, I didn't get to see a lot of maybe even been a second season with the Colts. I can't recall, but I do remember the Jets playing the Colts one week. And uh, my uncle, who was a you know, big influence in me becoming a Jets fan, him and his friends ex- explaining to me what a great player Klecko had been for the Jets. And, you know, since then, of course, you know, read a million articles and, you know, a lot of books that talk about Klecko and watched a lot of his highlights. And the guy, he was a monster. Um, you know, there you talk to some of the guys I've seen in interviews with offensive linemen who faced him and talked about how he belongs in the Hall of Fame. And it's kind of a joke that he wasn't in. So it's nice to see him get it. Revis, of course, you know, I, I did wonder if Revis would be first ballot. You know, we'll see if he gets it um, only because the the longevity. It felt like he was elite for sort of five, six years. Mm-hmm. And then he went to Tampa where they changed scheme and he wasn't really, you know, he, he didn't have the impact there that he had elsewhere with the Jets. And that's why he wasn't happy right away. Um, and he just, I don't know. I, I don't feel like he ever hit that peak again after the injury. So while he was absolutely pretty short, 
um, were shorter than a lot of Hall of Famers. So I wondered how that would impact him. But the general consensus consensus seems to be that, you know, people think he's going to get it. And listen, how great would it be to have two Jets going in the same year? Yeah, that would certainly be amazing. And obviously, Revis is a first ballot Hall of Famer if he were to get in. Um, so I think that's pretty cool also. And Joe Klecko, I feel like ever since, at least since I've started covering the Jets for, for JetNation.com, so back in 2019, now four years, that's kind of been the topic every time the Hall of Fame ceremony comes up and there's all these finalists and Joe Klecko's names floated out there. And it just never seemed like he could clear enough of the hurdles. And now that he's finally here, I feel like let's just get him there. You know, like it's 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 finally time for, for Joe Klecko to get there. I think he's been past due. I'm trying to pull up the list of finalists yeah. because there are 15 modern era finalists that Revis has to become one of five of in order to be inducted this summer. There are some pretty big names up here. Uh, just some of note, Dwight Freeney, Devin Hester, Tori Holt, Andre Johnson, Joe Thomas, Zach Thomas, Demarcus Ware, Reggie Wayne, Patrick Willis, Darren Woodson, Jared Allen, Rondé Barber. So like, there's a lot of names that, that Revis has to clear. And I, I mean, my Homer side of me says, yeah, he's going to, no matter what, he's a, a Hall of Fame finalist. He's going to get inducted this summer. But when you really start layering all these players together and you look at the Joe Thomas's, Jared Allen's, Demarcus Ware's, like those guys are very deserving. So it is tough with uh, Darrell Revis. I think ultimately when it's said and done, both of them will get in. And it's going to be just a great, a great all-around weekend for the Jets there. Now pivoting to the present, obviously the most recent draft class, 2022, fourth overall, 10th overall, Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, they're both finalists. I know they uh, they have some, some tough competition. I think Garrett Wilson's path is a little bit tougher than Sauce Gardner's, but you look at Garrett Wilson, he's going up against Brock Purdy, the quarterback for the 49ers, and Kenneth Walker, for the, the running back for the Seahawks. In your opinion, Glenn, do you think – Garrett Wilson is the guy, or are they going to probably give it to Brock Purdy? I think Purdy, listen, being a quarterback, they always seem to have the advantage. I think it's kind of ridiculous that he's in the conversation to begin with. I understand he played well down the stretch, but, um, you know, where's the cutoff for, for where you'll consider a guy for rookie of the year? You know, is it is it three games? Is it five games? Is it six games? Like, I feel like there should be a number on it. Um, and Brock Purdy to me didn't hit that number. Like you got to play like what a play 10, 12 games to be considered for the, for the award. Um, the right. first time I heard Purdy's name mentioned, I just thought it was kind of, you know, a joke, but then I was like, Oh, people are serious about this. Like they want a guy who only played the second half of the season. Um, look, it's not like he threw 47 touchdown passes, you know, like, yeah, he played well and they won games, but they, you know, arguably, you know, not argue. I mean, he, he playing for a top five defense. And I, look, I don't want to belittle what the guy did. The guy played fantastic. Sure. It's a great story. Um, but he played a handful of games. So to me, it's uh, it's weird that he's being considered. I would think I would think Walker. If anyone doesn't get it, I would. If, like if you said to me, who should get it if it's not Garrett Wilson? I would say Walker. But something tells me, man, that we know how the league feels about quarterbacks and Cinderella stories, Mister Irrelevant, and all that. So. He could steal the damn thing, but uh, I think Garrett Wilson's production, considering the quarterbacks he had to play with, I think he would have been a fourteen or fifteen hundred yard guy if his quarterback didn't stink. Um, so I think he deserves it, but I honestly don't know who they're going to give it to at this point. Um, and neither of those three would surprise me. 
Yeah, and Garrett Wilson already, with the mediocre to below average quarterback play, already broke the franchise rookie record set by Keyshawn Johnson for catches and yards. So, yeah, you're talking about smashing franchise records if he just had even average quarterback play. So I agree. It's got to be Garrett Wilson. I mean, Brock Purdy, every award slowly becomes a quarterback award that's offensive-based, MVP being like the main one. It's just a quarterback award. So if they they look at Brock Purdy's last six regular season games, which they're supposed to and not the playoffs, I mean, I, I just say Brees Hall. He played six and a half games for the Jets, and you can argue that he was just as important for the Jets that, as Brock Purdy was for the 49ers. And I know they play separate positions, and obviously the quarterback's way more important, but if you're going to look at a half-season sample size, I think Brees Hall deserves to be there. Now, the name that I think was completely snubbed was Chris Olave, the other Ohio State wide receiver for the Saints now, who absolutely killed it too, over a 1,000 yards, as well as Garrett Wilson. So I thought he was the name to be there. Now, pivoting over to Sauce, his competition is Aiden Hutchinson and Tariq Woolen of the Lions and Seahawks, respectively. Um, Basically, my take on this is if the NFL loves the flashy uh, sacks and interceptions, Sauce isn't going to win the award no matter how well he did in past breakups. But I think when you take into consideration that Sauce wasn't just the best defensive rookie, but the best rookie overall in the entire class, this is his award to lose. Um, I saw that Aiden Hutchinson won the Pepsi Zero Sugar uh, Rookie of the Year. So I'm hoping that that just is like the consolation for not winning the real thing and Sauce is going to win it. So what's your take on that? I, I feel like we're in the same boat there. Yeah, with Sauce, I think that, you know, I, I think what helps Sauce, and, and Robert Sala touched on this during the season, it, you know, whether you like it or not, I think the flashy name, I think like that it's catchy, people like it, uh, you know, playing in a big market. I, I like Sauce's chances better than I like Garrett Wilson's chances. Um, mm-hmm. But as we say, you know, the NFL, they do love the big stats. You know, they don't they don't pay as much attention to pass breakups as, as they do picks and sacks. So, you know, those other guys have a shot, but I just – I think Sauce, I think he's got the right personality. I think he's a guy that you look at and think you you kind of want him to be the face of the league guy moving forward. And not to say those other guys you don't. Um, but if you know, if you look at all the metrics and all the stats, like just looking at his his yards allowed in man coverage, you know, mm-hmm. is like is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, might have even been tops in the NFL. And when there's talk of a guy being, you know, arguably the best at his position already in the NFL. I think I'd be more surprised if he doesn't win it. A lot more surprised if he doesn't win it than if Garrett Wilson doesn't win it. Yeah, I certainly agree there. Let's let's hope that the NFL world agrees. Let's get a full four for four for the New York Jets, and we can we can have a a great weekend because I know that Super Bowl weekend has really nothing to do with the Jets. So if we can steal a little bit of that shine away from the Eagles and Chiefs, that'd be cool. Um, pivoting now, we'll we'll talk about the. The quarterback situation that I mentioned at the top of the show, day by day, kind of seems like it's getting a little bit more bleak uh, for for the Jets fans here on Twitter. Uh, if you just scroll your timeline, you'll see tons of you know doomsday scenarios where people are asking what the offense is going to look like under Baker Mayfield and Nathaniel Hackett or Ryan Tannehill or something like that. Um, to, to be honest, I feel like you look at Derek Carr, obviously he's visiting with the Saints. He was there yesterday, reported today at 245 that he was back in the building with the Saints. So two days in a row for Carr down in uh, New Orleans. 
doesn't sound like he's on the Jets radar whatsoever. Um, and the rumored price tag was only a third round pick. So I feel like knowing that that is the, the baseline of a, a trade package, teams should be stepping up, in my opinion, for Derek Carr services. It is kind of strange that it is just the Saints. The weird thing is, obviously, a team that is hosting him on a visit has to agree to trade compensation with the Raiders first. So I feel like that's also a weird wrinkle where like the Jets couldn't even agree with the Raiders on trade compensation. Are they even offering any trades to Las Vegas for Derek Carr? So before we get to the other quarterbacks, what's what's your take on the Derek Carr situation, knowing the rumored price, what has been happening, knowing that he has a, a trigger in his contract that has to be you know, used or moved on from in the next couple of days? Well, listen, that's, you know, the, the fact that what I think it's the 15th that the Raiders have to make a move, you know, mm-hmm. by that time with Carr. So I think they're, you know, they have no choice but to be aggressive. And I, I there's the part of me that says the Jets are going to lose out on this. They're not going to make an aggressive enough offer if they're making an offer at all. Um, but then there's the part of me that wonders if the Jets and other teams are just sitting back and saying, we think Carr's going to shoot down all trades and demand a release and let there be a bidding war. Um, which is what would make the most sense. So hopefully that's his plan, and hopefully the Jets plan on getting involved if that's the case. Um, you know, the, it, while it's frustrating that we haven't heard the Jets mentioned, um, it's also worth noting the Jets do keep things pretty buttoned up. Um, you know, the, the mm-hmm. Joe Douglas does a good job of keeping things under wraps, so even if there is some interest, we're probably not going to hear about it. But, um, yeah, the thought of, you know, losing out on Carr without even being involved, if they aren't, and then running the risk of maybe losing it on Aaron Rodgers. Like once that happens, you're you're in no man's land, and you know you're getting an injury-prone Jimmy G, or a, a guy like Baker Mayfield who's had one good season, um, and has some maturity issues. So it's uh it's it's gonna get a it's gonna get real ugly if Carr and Rodgers go in a hurry. Yeah, and we said it a couple weeks ago on this show that we think that Derek Carr is ultimately going to force. Um, of release or a cut and become a free agent altogether. I think it just makes too much sense from the inquiring team, obviously, or the acquiring team, excuse me, um, for Derek Carr to not have them trade a third round pick even because that is a borderline, if not a starter in year one for your roster. So if you're looking at a player of that caliber, leaving your roster that you can, you know, use to help Derek, I feel like he would not want to do that for the new team. Now, Maybe he's not getting the contract situation in his favor that he likes, so he wants to maintain with that contract that he has currently. So there's been talk of restructuring his contract. I know that there was an article about how the Saints could keep Derek Carr and still be under the cap, which is just truly amazing how you could do the financial gymnastics to put a $40 million quarterback on your team when you're negative 55 already. So those, those little aspects to me, I thought the Saints would be off the board completely, and now it seems like they've become the front runner. So something to keep an eye on with Derek Carr. The other quarterback we're, we're all keeping an eye on, and this one seems to be more of the media-hyped favorite. Obviously, like you said, nothing has been truly leaked from Florham Park, but other than the fact that Woody said he's absolutely willing to spend for the missing piece at quarterback. And that's Aaron Rodgers um, still deciding his future. No change in that status. He is going to a darkness retreat for 96 hours to hopefully find some clarity. He he himself called it sensory deprivation, isolation, 
those those words just sound so weird to me that he's just going to go sit in the dark and think about things. But hopefully, I mean, from the Jets perspective, you hope a decision comes shortly after that because you can't keep waiting if this is your number one guy, because then all the chairs are going to get filled and you're going to be standing off to the side in musical chairs without a quarterback. So what, what's your thoughts on Aaron Rodgers? And do you think that this cat and mouse waiting game is even worth it or he could ultimately go back to Green Bay? You know, I mean, you have to you have to consider it, but I, I think there is some credence to the reports that the Packers kind of feel like it is time to move on so they can move on to Jordan Love. Mm-hmm. They've been through this before when it was Rodgers and Favre. You know, listen, he might be an icon and this great player, MVP and all that, but it's going to come to an end eventually and it's going to come to an end soon. So if you're the Packers, mm-hmm. do you spend another year not getting a look at Jordan Love? And what are you going to do? Uh, exercise his 50-year option without knowing, knowing if he can play yet? Um, just to have Aaron Rodgers for maybe one, you know, one extra year, possibly two, mm-hmm. and then you then you lose out on on a guy that you took the first round. Um, and as I've said before, listen, I'm I'm love the idea of Aaron Rodgers, but th- he's not Tom Brady. He doesn't have six, seven Super Bowl rings. Like it, it's not as if they they're letting go of a guy. They're like, oh man, we just you know we always win rings with this guy, but now he's gone and. He's, uh, you know, he's won, he won a ring a while back. He's always had in, insanely talent. Well, not always, but he's often had very talented teams. Um, and I don't, it, it kind of, I look at this like, and I think of like the Bill Belichick thing, you know, they always say he gets rid of a guy a year early instead of a year late. And that's kind of where I would, if I'm the Packers, I would think let's get rid of him now. Cause how many good years does he have left? Like, let's get nothing for him in two years where we maybe don't win anything anyway and lose Jordan love and not get the picks. Like, get some picks now while you can and move on to Jordan Love, but then it becomes where do you send them? It's so funny. As uh, as you were talking, you you triggered my thought process, and I literally just was typing out one year too early rather than one year too late. And that's exactly it. I feel like good franchises are able to make that really cutthroat decision of, okay, let's move on from this all-star Hall of Fame type player now get recoup assets before it's a lost cause and try to build back again. And I think that they're all ready to move on to Jordan love. Obviously I don't know what's going on in that building, obviously, but it just, all the signs seem to be pointing like they want to at least see what he has because they have to decide on his fifth year option in a couple of weeks. And and I also think that Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are in a good relationship. Obviously we just talked about Carr and the Raiders, but Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are on good terms right now. They're not, divorcing in a you know ugly you know battle they are kind of just feeling each other out the Packers are willing to let Aaron take the time and I think they're more willing to trade him to a team he wants like he basically has a no trade clause due to the relationship with the Packers organization so to speak so I think ultimately he'll get to decide his fate but I think it will be just a long drawn out process that could take into the summer and at that point you're starting OTAs and mini camps. So you can't really have your quarterback position up in the air after all this talk about one missing piece, one piece away. So it's a really tough, tough spot to be in. Ultimately, do you think by the time we get on next week, next Thursday, that we'll have a little bit more clarity or do you think we'll still be in the dark? Yeah, I think at best, um, I think at best when low car situation, um, but Aaron mm-hmm. Rodgers just feels like it could drag on for, for weeks or for a chunk of the offseason. 
Um, but listen, if, if he said he's going on this darkness retreat to make up his mind, maybe he will, you know, emerge from the darkness to uh, to share with the world his plans, um, you know, what he wants to do, where he wants to play. And uh, maybe we will have some answers by next week. And that, that that would be fantastic if we did. Yeah, it would be awesome for sure. Because like I said earlier on Twitter, you just keep scrolling and it and it gets less and less positive. I know there was the week of Lamar hype and then it was Aaron Rodgers. And obviously the overarching was always Derek Carr. And it just seems like little by little, it's becoming less and less optimistic, even on Twitter, which is an unfortunate place to be. Hopefully it does get changed around. Um, I'm not sure how much time you got and uh, how long your connection is going to hold up so we can transition right now into the Senior Bowl recap. Um, Obviously, I was there last week. I was a little under the weather, so I didn't do too much outside of my normal going to practice and writing a couple articles for the site. I was planning on doing a video. I met up with uh, our buddy Green Bean down there, him and his guy Dom, who covers the draft with him. They're awesome guys. We're going to do a live video. It ended up not working out just couldn't really talk by the last day, all that traveling and stuff, but got a bunch of notes. I took almost eight pages of notes across the the three practices. I went to five out of the six total practices. I had an early flight out on Thursday, so had to get back to Pensacola. But right off the top, I just wanted to ask if there were any guys specifically that that you wanted to hear about. I know we've talked about these guys, some at length, some just scratching the surface here on the podcast. Sorry, any, any guys that jumped out at me? Is that what you were saying? Any guys, yeah, that you were interested in hearing about or that that jumped out from what you heard or read, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there were, you know, it's always refreshing. It's always nice to hear, you know, some of your guys have their names called. You know, we as we know, through the season, we picked sort of some of our favorite players. And uh, there were a bunch of guys that you and I both mentioned throughout the year. Um, who played well, you know, starting, of course, with Jake Hayner, who won the uh, the MVP. Um, and it was funny. I talked to uh, Scott Mason about this the other day on on Play Like a Jet. It was funny that, uh, you know, Hayner's worst throw of the day was was his biggest, was the biggest throw was the uh, the 44-yard touchdown that was really just a, a, a duck that kind of fluttered up there. And the two DBs found themselves on the ground, and Michael Wilson just plucked it out of the air and walked it in. Um, but really, all in all, Hayner, you know, there were good reviews for him on the week. He did make some good throws. He wasn't perfect, but I think he helped himself. I think he's looking at being a third, fourth rounder now, whereas before I kind of thought he'd be, a, a, you know, round five or later. Um, Ivan Pace Jr., I thought, did a great job. You know, I mentioned him during the year as a guy who I wondered if his size would hold him back because that guy does nothing but make plays. Um, mm-hmm. And he, he had a couple of reps where he took on much bigger guys and just shed them like it was nothing. Um, so I think he really helped himself quite a bit. Dan Henley, another guy who we heard his name called quite a bit during the week and during the game. Um, mm-hmm. Another guy that I, I think I mentioned him in week two or three as a player I'd be watching. So um, Luke Musgrave was probably the most interesting guy because he's, I mean, he's a guy that I remember seeing and, and thinking, why isn't he get? why don't I see more of him? Um, turns out he missed a ton of time due to injury. But um, mm-hmm. he's he's getting first round buzz now as a guy who really only played a handful of games this year. Um, but he, what is he six 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 seven and he runs really well for a guy that size. Shows excellent hands and so even with the injury history, some people are projecting Musgrave as a, a round one pick, which is kind of wild. 
Um, those are some of the guys that I liked. Um, I mean, there, there were several. I, I've only had a chance to watch the game once. I'm going to try to watch it again tonight, actually, and uh, hopefully mm-hmm. a couple more times before the next time we go live and start digging deeper on some of these prospects. Yeah, I'll start and go in reverse order of the guys you named. Luke Musgrave um, measured in 6'5 and a half, 255 pounds. Honestly, I thought he was far and away the best tight end. And if the Jets had a needed tight end, he would be the first person I would look at to upgrade the position. Obviously, that's not the case, but he had a ton of good one-on-one reps. He he just was a smooth mover. Like I said, for 6'5", 255, he was one of the heavier, taller tight ends there. And I thought he moved very well. He I think it was a rep against um, one of the shorter safeties in the end zone. He just went up over the top and it was just too easy for him, just plucking it right over him. So Luke Musgrave, I wasn't watching a ton of tight ends. Obviously Jets don't need one, but he caught my eye a ton. Uh, Dayon Henley was the guy that I probably watched the absolute most of um, my entire week there, just due to your affinity for him, everything I've seen on you know, broadcast highlight films of him, everything that I saw and read, I was just like, I got to get my eyes on him. Absolute monster in both the uh, linebacker running back pass protection drill and the linebacker running back coverage drill. I don't think he lost a rep, you know, completely lost a rep one time all week in either of those drills. So he just put on an absolute clinic there. Uh, I believe you said Ivan Pace, the backer from Cincinnati. He was good. Uh, not as not as flashy, but he did look good. He was in that same linebacker unit. Um, I think everybody in that linebacker unit got a uh, the better rep on uh, Chase Brown, the Illinois running back who didn't really have a great week in pass protection. Mm-hmm. So Ivan Pace really stuck out to me there. And then Jake Hayner, obviously, I wanted to get a ton of notes on him for you. Um, first day, not so great for any of the quarterbacks, uh, but Jake specifically was fumbling snaps. I think he had three or four fumbled snaps. Talked to somebody down there that said that the ball, the balls weren't, um, you know, pre-rubbed or whatever to like get that worn in feeling that everybody's used to Um, something about the zebra chip technology in the ball. So Jake Hayner had a much better day two and three of practice. And obviously he comes away with the MVP. So that's always going to help his stock. I felt like he was a day three guy that Jets could potentially steal draft and develop, you know, but now it doesn't seem to be the case. They're probably going to have to spend a fourth round pick on him. So ultimately, all those guys, they, they did well. And I'll be mocking Dayon Henley for sure to the Jets in every round four or five that I can find him in. Yeah, look, Henley's a lot of fun to watch. You know, and I'm, I'm really anxious to see how he tested the combine. Um, I think he's going to run one of the faster 40s among the linebackers. I think he shows great agility. So uh, mm-hmm. it's gonna be he's gonna be one of the guys I'm gonna be looking out for, and uh, look, there's you know even the Senior Bowl aside, you know there's there's a lot of linebackers in this class that I really enjoy watching, um, and I, of course my guy Payne Durham I forgot to mention him, um, he had himself mm-hmm. a really big week, um, just another guy who uh, who does a really good job of, you know he do, he does everything well you know he's he, he can block for you, you see him line up at fullback and you know put guys on their backs, you see him block well at tight end. You see him do a nice job catching the ball over the middle. He's not afraid of contact. He holds on through contact. Um, you know, he's not the fastest tight end you're going to you're gonna find, but I think he's going to be a, a, a guy who can be a starter. Yeah, Payne Durham specifically had a really nice Thursday practice. Um, in the team period specifically, uh, Dom, Green, Bean, and myself were right down in front so they could get a bunch of pictures and videos and whatnot. And 
and we were just watching the team uh, red zone period, 11 on 11, and Payne Durham scored two touchdowns, and then he had one where he couldn't uh, survive the ground on a third touchdown, but he had a couple good reps in one-on-ones um, the day prior. I know he had a rep against Sidney Brown where it got intercepted, but obviously it's not his fault. He was undercut beautifully. But yeah, Payne Durham was another one, and it's really unfortunate that the tight end class is so dominant this year and there are so many sneaky good plays at tight end because the Jets don't need one and obviously they could uh, move on from a Uzama or a Conklin but it doesn't seem like that's the case so we're kind of locked in at the tight end position as unfortunate as it is but another offensive position I did want to touch on was wide receiver because there was a guy that I talked about very early on in the process maybe even week one of the entire draft segment and that's Jaden Reed wide receiver from Michigan State, by far the number one winner of the week at Mobile. Um, I'm not even sure what he did in the game, but it didn't really matter because the only real question about him coming in that I found other people questioning was his speed. He was absolutely blazing fast. The scoreboard every day had the zebra tracking of the day prior where all the highest runners were fastest speeds. Jaden Reed was number one from day one, and I don't think it was beat until Darius Rush on day two or three beat it for the defensive side. So Jaden Reed was by far the fastest offensive player I saw. He just He's a shorter guy in stature. I believe he's 6'1", maybe even 5'11". I'm trying to pull it up right here. Yeah, he's 5'10 five, five, and 6'8", 191. So he's obviously going to be more of that slot type of guy, but he does have kick return versatility. Looks like we lost Glenn there, so unfortunately I'll have to uh, take take over the rest of the show here solo, but that's not a problem. We'll, we'll get Glenn back on, and I'm sure he'll he'll do a video for you guys either today or, or the next day um, over the weekends doing a solo show. But Jaden Reed, back to him, Michigan State guy. He absolutely killed it. I don't think he's going to last until the fourth round like um, – I've been seeing a lot of mocks and projections having him as I don't think they've adjusted their rankings post senior bowl fully because now I think he's easily a top 100 selection. And there was another uh, wide receiver. I tried to get a longer look at the wide receivers because there is so much influx that could happen at the position for the jets. Obviously you have Corey Davis who could be a cap casualty. Some sites are already saying that he will, or he is a cap casualty. I don't know if that's safe to assume, uh, Barrios has a high cap hit. He could be a cut casualty. Uh, you obviously have the Elijah Moore situation, which if you don't find a quarterback that satiates his needs, maybe he requests a trade before you even get into camp. So that really leaves you as just Garrett Wilson as your true wide receiver to bank on. So another guy, a bigger body guy, Michael Wilson from Stanford. He was a huge standout. Route running polish was the first thing I wrote down for him. He was able to beat press at the line of scrimmage, which in those one-on-one situations you deal with a lot. So he was able to handle those one-on-one situations well. Glenn alluded to the the duck touchdown that Jake Hayner threw in the Senior Bowl game itself. That was caught by Michael Wilson. He went up over two DBs and got it. Um, so, So Michael Wilson, there was actually another Stanford wide receiver there, Elijah Higgins. And I thought Michael Wilson, compared to his teammate, looked far and away the better player. Obviously, I haven't um, studied them in depth on tape yet. Elijah Higgins, his teammate, was asked to work with the tight ends. So I think that might be a little indicative of where the NFL views him as a another big body um, 
wide receiver. I believe he was a bit heavier, though. Let's see. I got it right here. Michael Wilson, 6'1", 216, and his teammate was 6'2", 228. So, yeah, you're looking at almost 15 pounds and an inch and a half um, bigger than Michael Wilson. So it, it makes sense there. And then the third wide receiver name I did want to mention, sticking with another theme of Jaden Reed type guys, Trey Tucker from Cincinnati. Um, Sauce's teammate. They're pretty good friends from what I heard. Uh, our buddy Dom got to interview him after practice the one day, and he said that he and Sauce are pretty close. So that's always cool to see if they were able to bring that Cincinnati connection back versatility he is a kick return punt return guy as well just like Jaden Reed so another guy that if you want a low cost replacement option for a Braxton Berrios I think this guy is one of your best fits just super twitchy he plays in the slot he said he can play in the boundary I don't know if that's necessarily true Um, we also saw Elijah Moore play on the boundary and have success so depending on the offense, I think it could obviously be a fit, but I think Trey Tucker's more as a day three slot and kick return guy, which those guys have value in this league. So I think it's always important. Uh, We can move on to offensive guard and tackle. Excuse me. I'd take a sip Uh, offensive line. My first guy was a guard, Steve Avila. He's kind of gaining some, some hype amongst Jets fans. I know Osiris Torrance from Florida was the offensive guard. Everybody in Jets Twitter was kind of keeping their eyes on and he had a great week. Don't get me wrong, but just in talking with everybody that I met or, you know, was trying to connect with down there, it seemed like Osiris Torrance isn't necessarily the best fit for the wide zone run scheme that it seems like Nathaniel Hackett's going to run. Nothing has been confirmed about our offense or what the tendencies will be. But knowing everything from the Hackett system, it's probably going to be a lot of wide zone run schemes, zone run schemes, excuse me. So Torrance, not necessarily a fit, but he could definitely be on the Jets radar, especially as a first round guy if they traded back from 13. But back to Steve Avila, offensive guard from TCU. Um, Obviously, he just lost in the national championship, which is a big bummer, especially the way they went out. But he came into Mobile. And he looked ready to go. I mean, he he looked like he hadn't taken two months off like most of these other players who were done playing football and, you know, Thanksgiving. So Steve Avila came in ready. I thought he had a good anchor. Um, I'm not exactly sure if he has that versatility to play center. They didn't ask him to play much center at all, if any, down in Mobile. So I think he's really just guard only. So he's an interesting one. I, I feel like he's probably fringe top 100 in terms of where – most sites have him ranked. So one to keep on the radar because the interior offensive line obviously needs some help. Um, Going to the outside of the offensive line tackles. uh, This is a right tackle only. So I don't know how much um, stock the Jets will put into a player like this, but that's Darnell Wright. Darnell Wright is a right tackle only. In my opinion, I haven't seen anything that would point me to say he can play left tackle or can't play left tackle so I'm just going to work off of right tackle only for now that's not to say he can't flip over but we'll have to see he's getting first round buzz there were not many first round players at all in Mobile that were consensus first round guys and there still really aren't that many but Darnell Wright certainly injected himself into that 30 to 45 range and really no lower if he gets out of the out of the top 40 
to the Jets second round pick. I mean, that's that's a type of run the card up to the podium type of pick that you make for Darnell Wright. Even if you take an offensive tackle at 13, you double up if Darnell Wright's there because our offensive tackle position is very, very questionable. You have four guys returning from injury. Uh, Fan obviously is a free agent due to leave. So it's just all up in the air. Darnell Wright's going to be one of those guys that I think probably gets into the first round. So the Jets might miss on him, but I liked him a lot. And then sticking with the true center, I'm not going to, you know, pump up John Michael Schmitz because you can turn on any other podcast and see John Michael Schmitz. I'm going to bring a new new name to the center table, and that's uh, – I'm just going to go with his nickname, Victor Aluatimi. He's the center from Michigan. Now, somebody I talked to said that he has one percentile hands. It's not a great thing. Obviously, you don't want to be one percentile anything, but specifically as a center who touches the ball every single play and is responsible for the smooth transition back to the quarterback, one percentile hands is not very good. It did measure in at, I believe, eight and a half inch hands, so super historically low for centers. I don't know if that's going to ruin his value. Maybe they teams only see him as a guard because of that, but I thought he had a good anchor he was still able to have good grip strength with those small hands on the defenders. He was able to just, you know, mirror and match. You see that combine drill where the offensive line mirrors the guy just running back and forth. And I think that's what he does well. He grabs on, he latches on, he doesn't let you, you know, shake him left or right. So you really got to go through him and you really can't go through him either. So this, the Michigan center, obviously Michigan is known for pumping out offensive linemen that are pro ready. They had two or three down at the senior bowl as it was. So Aluatimi is another one that I think could be on the radar. These are all, you know, middle day three, possibly early day three guys. So we're talking rounds four, five, six, and seven, not really top 100 guys. Um, Flip over to the defense, you'll find a ton of top 100 guys that I think the Jets will love. First, we'll start on the defensive line. Exterior, I guess he's kind of a tweener. Adebaware, we've talked about him. Glenn has brought him up on the podcast, I believe, two or three weeks ago. The, the defensive lineman from Northwestern, just smooth. He won every one-on-one rep that, you know, really meant something. I, I thought he, I, you know, everybody knows that I like to talk about ass and leg players. He kind of fit that mold. There's going to be another player that I'm about to talk about right after him that is probably the winner of the ass and legs competition down in Mobile because – those defensive linemen were thick, I'll be honest. But Adebaware was speed to power. He had good hand uh, hand usage when he was pass rushing. Pretty explosive in the run game, too, during the competition periods. I thought I, um, he had a good pop in his pads when he was, you know, that point of attack with offensive linemen. So I thought Adebaware was a good pick there. The interior defensive lineman, Aston Legs winner, Keanu Benton, probably defensive lineman winner of the week somebody who wasn't talked about much at all as a day two guy. So you're talking about day three, maybe priority free agent type hype for Keanu Benton. And he came into Mobile and he kind of put the work on all the interior offensive linemen. There was a rep where he club ripped uh, Jake Andrews from Troy and his helmet just spun around, kind of fell off a little bit. Jake had to realign his helmet, get back in for the next rep and, he didn't win the next one either. So Keanu Benton was certainly one that I don't know how he's going to fit the Jets mold. They like the smaller, more athletic, more explosive defensive lineman. And 
I don't know if Keanu Benton fits that mold, but from what I saw of him pass rushing, I don't really need to see the run stopping ability because I believe that it's there just due to the, the sheer size of this man. So I think he's an intriguing prospect defensive line is certainly a need for the Jets. And I think they're going to have to spend at least one pick, whether it's interior, probably one interior, one edge, regardless of what, what they do with the free agents on their roster. So moving on from the defensive line, we'll go to the linebackers. Glenn already talked about one day on Henley, Washington State. That's just my guy. He's going to be one of my guys for this, this uh, draft process. And it's funny because Glenn is the one that brought him to me. And I feel like now I kind of like him more than Glenn, so it's it's almost unfair. But Henley was a, just a killer. I mentioned it one-on-one, one every single rep, so I won't spend too much time on him again. Another linebacker that up and down, but I thought mostly up, Servassier Dennis from Pittsburgh. He's one of those true Mike guys. Um, a lot of these linebackers were undersized, Wills and, and Sam linebackers, but I really think that Servassier Dennis is – the true Mike, the center of your defense, probably got the green dot on his helmet, the communicator relaying the plays from the coach. So I feel like he's going to be one of those guys that the team's really key in on. I liked what he uh, what he uh, displayed in coverage, except for one rep against Tajay Spears. And we've talked about Tajay Spears on this podcast. He's just super explosive. There was not really much he could do about it. Tajay Spears kind of went out on a whip route and just ducked underneath and he had no chance. Servassier Dennis didn't even know that he did that. So it was the one bad rep and it kind of went viral for Dennis, but I thought he all in all had a great week back up into the secondary. These are some more unfamiliar names to me. Obviously some might ring a bell to, to you guys, but these are ones that I didn't really get a chance to look at in depth before I went into the week. And they just stood out to me completely. Makai Blackman from USC, he had a rep. He was probably one of the only players that I saw in a one-on-one rep to put the clamps on Jaden Reed. And it was in an end zone period. Jaden Reed just from the start really couldn't get off the press. And Blackman just cornered him. He had no choice. He ran out of the back of the end zone. The ball went sailing over his head. Blackman played it excellently from start to finish of the rep. So Makai Blackman is, is certainly one that's rising in my board because I hadn't seen too much of him and going back after I got home and watching a little bit more of USC's defense, which doesn't really have a a ton of draft eligible talent. I liked what I saw from Makai Blackman. Uh, Twitter also liked what they saw from Makai Blackman. Uh, That tweet that I posted of my one-on-one thread went absolutely viral, including the current Heisman uh, Trophy winner, Caleb Williams, quarterback from USC, quote tweeting the the tweet about Makai Blackman saying that's not rare with, with him. So I'm intrigued. Obviously cornerback is a position like tight end that I don't think the jets are going to be circling as a top priority, but when you're always looking for depth at the position, um, Brandon Eccles got hurt. We saw what Bryce Hall, uh, Bryce Hall did in his five reps against the Baltimore Ravens. It's no secret that they, they don't want to play him. He was a healthy scratch for Brandon Eccles until Brandon Eccles got hurt. And he was the dime cornerback and then they stopped running dime they stopped putting four dbs out on the or four corners excuse me out on the field they just switched it up with three safeties and and more nickel so bryce hall is somebody that's probably going to be replaced so you need depth at corner all the time uh, a lengthier taller corner tyreek stevenson from miami he just had long speed he was able to keep up with players all the way down the field i liked him a lot 
Um, didn't really get to study his tape too in depth because there's other guys that I put priority coming home. So Tyreek Stevenson's one that I think will impress at the combine and probably boost his stock more there. So we'll wait to see what happens there. And then Darius Rush, I kind of teased him earlier when I was talking about Jaden Reed, the fastest defensive player of the week. I believe it was 21 and change on the, the zebra technology. So Darius Rush from South Carolina is another cornerback that I'm excited to see what happens. I believe Mel Kuyper has a fifth or sixth round grade on him. So really nothing in, impressive. I don't know if he really helped his stock just by running fast and, you know, teams fall in love with speed all the time. So he could easily be bumped up, but Darius Rush was another guy. And then the last two, before we get out of here, uh, safety position, I, I have to talk about him. Jets fans were super hype about him all week. Didn't really impress to me. I, I felt like he was very skinny, very slender, um, wasn't, uh, you know, using his weight properly even. So, and that's JL Skinner, Boise State safety. Um, I'm really not even sure what the Jets would do with him if they did draft him. You, we have all these safety to linebacker hybrid types like Hamsa and Sherwood that really haven't panned out in, in the grand scheme of things. But you have a JL Skinner type who is a, a really tall, skinny safety that they play down in the box a lot. And I feel like if they tried to play him more as a free safety, he would thrive. I don't know if he'd you know have a ton of success, but I think he would do better. But I don't know. I just ultimately wasn't impressed by JL Skinner, I'm sure. You could turn on another Jets podcast or a draft podcast and somebody might have a differing opinion. And I think that's the beauty of Mobile altogether is one day you're looking at offensive defensive linemen. The next day you're looking at wide receiver cornerbacks. And if your guy doesn't have a good day on that day that you're watching, you really got to go back and watch the tape that they give you and really uncover those those under you know, underperformers that had those good reps here and there. So I think JL Skinner had some good moments definitely had some bad moments. I I don't think he's going to be one of the guys that I'm mocking to the Jets in the later rounds even. So not ultimately impressed with him, but a safety I was impressed with. And I talked about just before I left, he was actually the last person I watched in depth before I left for Mobile. Sidney Brown from Illinois, the twin brother of Chase Brown, the running back. And Sidney Brown was just super impressive. Um, our guy Green Bean is in here. I saw him comment earlier. I don't know if he's still in here, but he posted a thread about Sidney Brown and how the Jets could possibly get him in the fifth round. And I hope so, because if, if we get Sidney Brown in the fifth round and we bring in a middle tier free agent to replace LaMarcus Joyner, I think that three safety tandem could be special. Sidney Brown plays a little bit of slot, plays a little bit of box safety, plays a little bit of free. So I think he's very interchangeable, very versatile. He was all over the field. He had a nice undercut route in the red zone period where he intercepted a pass um, in one-on-ones against Payne Durham. So Sidney Brown, he came rocked up too. I don't, I, I don't think I've ever seen two players like him and Chase. Uh, obviously, I, I have very limited experience seeing players in person, but over the last two years being at the Senior Bowl, these guys were the most muscled up players I've ever seen. They obviously wore the the crop top that Zeke made famous and they had their shirts rolled up in their pads so everybody could see. But man, from from head to toe, they just they they lived in the in the workout room for for till the end of the season until mobile. So Sidney Brown's on my radar. He's somebody that I liked beforehand and ended up coming out of with a lot more love. So 
those are all my guys. Obviously, there's a ton more. If you want to leave a comment on the YouTube uh, YouTube video, I'll be more than happy to read through the comments. I'm doing that all the time, and I'll try to answer as many as I can. I have tons of notes here, so I I'm sure I have something written down about the player that you want to know a little bit more about. And I know Glenn, Glenn couldn't make it through the whole thing, but we'll get him back. I'm sure he'll do another video this weekend for you guys, probably talking more about the quarterback position as, as it currently stands. So until then, you can follow him on Twitter at AceFan23. Make sure you follow his draft account at JetsPicks, at Jets, P-I-C-K-S. It's a draft account that he's really tr trying to get uh, up and going this cycle. Tons of videos, excuse me, on, on every prospect. I sent him a player uh, down in Mobile, and he sent me clips back right away, even the guys that came in for the injured guys during the week and he knew him right away. So it's awesome. Uh, follow that at jets picks. And then you can follow me on Twitter at D Terman. Uh, follow us on jet nation, obviously Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, everywhere you see the show. Don't forget to give us a five-star review on Apple podcasts. We certainly appreciate that. It goes a long way. And until next time, let's go jets.